0: you let's go before the Lord in prayer gracious Heavenly Father we praise you and we thank you for this day Lord we thank you that you have brought us here we thank you that you are present among us God we cannot even begin to know you and therefore cannot even begin to know ourselves Lord until we behold your holiness until we behold your majesty And so I pray, Lord, that you would show us your glory this day, that you would shine upon us your light, that you would give us just a glimpse of who you truly are. And in doing so, Lord, a glimpse of who we are. Father, I pray that you would speak to us, show us mercy and spur us forward in this things we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Once as an experiment, Isaac Newton stared at the image of the reflected sun in a mirror. He held it up, he looked into the mirror, and he stared into it. And that brightness of the sun burned into his retina, and uh, Newton suffered temporary blindness. He spent three days in a dark room behind closed doors, and even still, the bright spot would not fade from his vision. And as a result of this experiment, uh, it had a profound effect on him. Isaac Newton was given a whole new respect for the son and the power that our son wields. Folks, today we're going to camp out in Isaiah 6, in which Isaiah tells us of the vision that he saw in the throne room of God. And we ourselves are going to get a look at the holiness and at the majesty of our God. And my prayer for us today is that we, as we gaze upon his holiness and as we gaze upon his radiance, that such an impression is left on our minds and on our hearts that it would not only never fade from our vision, but it would give us a new respect for our Father in heaven, for his mercy. Toward us and for his call upon us. And so, God, I ask for nothing less than that today. You know, one of the greatest attributes of our God is his holiness. Exodus 15, 11 says this. Who is like you, Lord, majestic in holiness and awesome in glory and working wonders. Majestic in holiness that's what we see when you and I peer into the throne room with the help of the prophet Isaiah. Before we gaze upon God's holiness, I want to give you a little bit of background about this piece of scripture. Isaiah, he may have been the greatest prophet in all of Israel. We call him a major prophet. We have major prophets and minor prophets. We call Isaiah a major prophet because there's such a vast amount of written material that bears his name. Now, Isaiah was a statesman. He was well-to-do, but he spoke about God to both common people and also to the kings. Over a period of about 60 years, when Isaiah was prophesying on behalf of the Lord, there were four different kings that were in power. And the people of Israel and their four kings, as a matter of fact, were morally kind of a mess. And so Isaiah would speak to them on behalf of God. And try and guide and direct them in the name of the Lord. This particular chapter that we heard read this morning, Isaiah 6, is Isaiah's call story. It's his call story. You may remember my first week here at Mount Hope. I shared with you my own call story. It's a means to let the people know why and under what authority one is speaking on behalf of the Lord. And so Isaiah in chapter 6 is sharing with his people this understanding that Isaiah has gained of God and of God's calling upon his life. And as a matter of fact, upon the lives of the people of Israel. Now, King Uzziah, he was one of the rulers of the southern kingdom of Judea. And he was a pretty decent ruler, was a pretty successful ruler until one day pride kind of got the better of him. And Uzziah marched himself into the temple and did things that God had reserved only for the priests. And when he did it, God was not happy with King Uzziah. You know, when Uzziah died, the people, they mourned and they were grieving. And so Isaiah went to the temple in order to pray for the people. And when Isaiah got there, he experienced God in a way he had never before. He saw the Lord's majesty. And we read about that in verses 1 to 4. He saw the Lord's mercy. We read about that in verses 5 to 7. And he saw the Lord's mission. And we read about that in verses 6 to 8. The first thing that Isaiah saw in that vision of the throne room that God gave him was the Lord's majesty. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Let me stop right there. I saw the Lord. That's what Isaiah said. What an incredible statement. I saw the Lord. What must that have been like for Isaiah, I wonder? How very life-changing an event would it be for you and me were we to be able to say, I saw the Lord. Now, here's the really incredible thing. I have no doubt that each and every single one of us here today can say that statement. I saw the Lord. We may never get a vision of the throne room of God like Isaiah did on this side of life, but we do in fact get to see the Lord. We get to see the Lord displayed gloriously in all of his creation we get to see glimpses of the lord as he works in and through the situations of our lives and so my question for you this morning is this when or where in your life have you seen the lord and how have you let it change you now the word isaiah used for lord was adonai adonai refers to god's absolute sovereignty over Isaiah. Adonai lets us know that Isaiah views God as the king of kings. It means he has absolute, God has absolute authority over Isaiah's life. And so what Isaiah is essentially saying to the people is this, in the year we lost our king, I saw the real king, the king of kings. When our earthly king died, I saw the heavenly king, who is the real one in authority over us. Now, I don't doubt that the people of Israel might have felt a little unsettled, a little panicked when their ruler died, like things might change greatly or fall apart. But Isaiah says, you know what? Relax. I have seen Adonai. I have seen the Lord, and he is with us also. Now, let me tell you, there were three lessons that Isaiah learned about his Adonai when he first looked into that throne room. The first one is that God is high. Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the hem of his robe, filled the temple. I cannot even imagine what that must have been like to see that. When I was about 10 years old, many of you may remember this Lady Diana, married Prince Charles. Anybody watch that on TV? They shut down the world and everybody was glued to their television watching her walk down the aisle in this beautiful wedding gown. And do you remember her wedding gown had a train that was 50 feet long? I never saw such a thing in my life, 50 feet. And it stretched all the way down the aisle of the cathedral in which she was married. And you know what that train did? It let every single person in the world know that this was no ordinary bride. Folks, Isaiah is telling us that the train of God's robe filled the temple. This king, as he sat on his throne, was no ordinary king. He was the king of kings. Isaiah learned right then and there in that moment that God is high. He also learned that God is holy. Isaiah describes what he saw. He said, above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two wings, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. Now, the seraphim are a group of angels whose calling, whose personal calling was to attend to the holiness of God. They were guardians. They were announcers of the holiness of God. And their faces were covered because God is holy. Imagine if you're in a dark room and you walk out into the sunlight. The instinct would be to cover your face, to shield your eyes from the brightness before you, right? Those angels, they covered their faces in the light of the sheer glory and the holiness of God. They covered their faces with two wings in reverence for God's holiness. Isaiah says with two wings, they covered their feet. Feet was a euphemism for nakedness. And so they were in the presence of holiness. So they covered their bodies with two wings. But the most incredible thing about these angels is not what they looked like. And not that they were covering their faces and their bodies. It was their song." What were the angels singing? Isaiah tells us, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Why holy, holy, holy? In the Hebrew language, a word is repeated three times to show its completeness. God isn't just holy. He isn't just holy, holy. God is holy, holy, holy. He was and is and always will be completely and undeniably holy. And God's holiness is of such importance. The angels confess with their song that God is holy. And you know what else? We confess every single week together that God is holy. Did you know that? When you and I say the Lord's Prayer, we say, our Father who art in heaven, what? hallowed hallowed be thy name hallowed means holy and so every time we pray like that we along with isaiah and along with the angels confess that our god is holy now to be holy is to be perfect to be pure to be set apart our god is unstained by sin he is spotless he is great he is grand and majestic and he is awesome folks our god is holy holy and Isaiah learned that when he saw that throne room third lesson that Isaiah learned is that God is here listen to what the angels said next they said holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty the whole earth is full of his glory folks God is high God is holy but God is here the whole earth is full of his glory now you might ask How is it that God God can be in heaven and he can also be here? How can he be lifted high and also come down low right with us? We call that transcendence. Transcendence means God is beyond the normal physical level. He can be in heaven and on earth. He can be above us and yet still with us. God is here. And for me, that's one of the most comforting thoughts I could ever have. God is above. Watching over us. But God is here walking beside us. God is high. God is holy. And God is here. Isaiah beheld his majesty. And what was the reaction when Isaiah came face to face with God's majesty? He didn't just say like, wow, look at that, God. You are so cool. He didn't say that. He didn't say, wow. Isaiah said, whoa. Woe to me. I am ruined. When Isaiah beheld the majesty and the holiness of God, when he really, truly understood his God, well, that was the time, the first time Isaiah really saw and understood Isaiah. And once there was a little boy, he ran to his mother and he told her, I am six feet tall, Mom. I measured myself and I did all the math and I am six feet tall. And his mom looked at her little boy who was about this tall. And she said, well, let's see how you figured out that you're six feet tall. So her boy ran and he got her the ruler. And he said, see, I'm six rulers tall and that makes me six feet tall. But what the boy didn't realize is that he had not used a 12 inch ruler to measure himself, but he used a six inch ruler. See, he had the right idea. He just had the wrong ruler. The wrong standard, right? All of his life, Isaiah had looked at himself in comparison with the other people of Israel. And he measured up pretty good. Isaiah was among the best of men, which is why God chose him to be a prophet. But when Isaiah saw himself in comparison with the ultimate in holiness, well, then Isaiah saw his sin. It was then that Isaiah understood his filth. And suddenly he knew of his depravity and his sinfulness. And all Isaiah could say was, "Woe to me. I wonder how many of us measure ourselves by the wrong standard. You know, it's so easy to look around at other people and say, well, pff, I'm not all that bad. I don't do, I'm not as bad as her. I, I don't do all the stuff that he does. I'm not as bad as him. But when we behold ourselves before the majesty and the holiness of our God, who is the standard by which we should be measuring ourselves, then we realize how sinful we really are. And when you and I understand God as holy, we don't say, wow. We say, whoa. But let me tell you, as soon as Isaiah understood his sinfulness before that holy God, It was right then that he saw the Lord's mercy. In verse 7, one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand and he touched my lips and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, the instant that Isaiah recognized his sinfulness, deliverance was set into motion. Because our God did not leave Isaiah devastated. Or God did not leave Isaiah ruined. He didn't leave Isaiah saying, whoa, God provided for Isaiah. God showed mercy. A hot coal. That hot coal was taken from the brazen altar in the temper courtyard where sacrifices were offered to atone for the sins. This was a foreshadowing for us of the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who would lay his life down to atone for your sin and mine. Now think about this, as Isaiah saw this glimpse of heaven, right? He heard the praise of the seraphim. The the scripture tells us it was thunderous and it shook the walls, the very foundation of the temple. In the midst of all of this noise and this calamity and this thunderousness that shook the very walls of the temple. Do you know what God heard? God heard the faint cry of a fearful, guilty man who stood before the Lord and understood his sinfulness and who was now broken and contrite. And when God heard Isaiah's cry, he told the seraphim to stop worshiping for a minute so he could go and minister to Isaiah's needy heart. Folks, do you know what it takes to get to a point where your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Do you know what it takes to get to that point? It takes a broken and contrite heart in the face of a holy God. Psalm 51.7 reminds us, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. What incredible mercy was shown by our God to a person who was humbled in his presence. And Isaiah was made clean. Maybe some of you are feeling like Isaiah this morning, filled with remorse over the things that you've done wrong in this life and not sure what to do about it. But I'll tell you, the way to God's mercy is not to try harder. The way to God's mercy is not to clean up your act. The way to God's mercy is by faith. Faith in God's provision for you through Jesus Christ. I wonder, have you ever witnessed the holiness of God and allowed it to shine a light on your sinfulness? I wonder, have you ever cried out to God, woe? Have you ever humbled yourself before him in faith that he would show you the very same mercy that he showed Isaiah? Because if you have, know that he has in fact made you clean. And that your sin has been atoned for by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have, just like Isaiah, been made right before God. Friends, when we splay ourselves broken before a holy God, God stops what he's doing and makes us whole. Right then and there. And like Isaiah, you and I behold God's mercy. So, first, Isaiah was overcome by the Lord's majesty, and then he experienced God's mercy. Now, Isaiah's going to hear of the Lord's mission. Verse 8 says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. It's only natural when someone experiences forgiveness of sin for that person in some way to respond. To the God who showed them forgiveness. And Isaiah's response was to step up and be God's servant. And Isaiah served not out of duty or of obligation, but in gratitude. And out of a desire to see God's name magnified. In response to his cleansing, Isaiah submitted himself entirely to God's service. No matter how difficult that task was going to be before him. Here am I. Isaiah said, send me. Now, I wonder, church, you who have been recipients of the mercy of our holy God, are you sensitive to God's voice speaking to you this morning? Have you heard and have you stepped up to answer the call? Because God is looking for people who have been so moved by his majesty And who have experienced his mercy on such a personal basis that they will be eager to join in his mission, just like Isaiah was. Verse 9, God continues, it says this, And God said, go and tell the people. Go and tell the people. Folks, God is eager to have you and me go. And to be sent, just like Isaiah was sent, into the mission field. And our mission field, it lays before you and me this very day as well. You know, Jesus, you might remember, gave us a similar commission just before he said, uh, ascended into heaven. He said, therefore, go, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you even to the end of the age. You remember those words that Jesus spoke. Now, I don't know exactly what that means for you personally today, but I do know that each and every one of us has been given some task in order to go and make disciples. The call to go is for all who have received God's mercy and beheld God's majesty. D.L. Moody said it like this. He said, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And that which I can do by the grace of God, I will do. Friends, I want you to understand that each of us are only one. But we're one. And we can't do everything. But every single one of us can do something. Understand that God calls upon the members of this congregation to be Sunday school teachers and to be nursery volunteers, and to work with our youth. God has called you into mission, uh, to be mission team members, and to be prayer warriors, and to be small group leaders. He's called you to be sanctuary helpers, and food pantry workers, and ushers, and trustees. And when we answer that call, we do so in order that the holy God who has shown us great and indescribable mercy might be made known in this church and in this neighborhood. God calls. Whom shall we send? And who will go for us? The question is this. Will you respond? In light of his majesty and of his holiness and of his great mercy, will you respond? Friends, as we come to a better understanding of God's holiness, I pray that it becomes obvious to you that there is no better way to use your time and your talents than to use them for the glory of our high and holy God. There is none better. There is no one greater or more worthy than our Lord. He is our life. He is our hope. He is our joy. And to spend our lives serving anything less, it's just foolishness. May we devote the rest of our lives to the praise of God. May we stand in awe of his holiness and may we glorify him with our words and with our deeds. May the words we speak before our holy God first be woe and then be, here am I. Lord, send me. Amen. Amen.